Is that a bit loud? No, it's good. Okay. Again, this weird, like, I'm in between both the yeah. speakers. So where do you stand when you do this? Up there. You stand up here? Behind the speakers, yeah. Behind the speakers. You can do whatever you want. It's just your comfort. Okay. Now it's weird. Stay back there. <laughs> I'm just going to suffer through it. Okay, so. Thank you for letting me speak tonight. Um, <laughs> um, I like speaking um, a lot. Yeah, that's Katie. I like speaking to my friends, too, and brother-in-law. And we weren't friends before I was married, so <laughs> I'm joking, Katie. <laughs> he didn't like me. Anyway, so anyways, uh, Merritt made me this slide right here called Being Seen, and um, I'm going to explain what, the, what I'm trying to say behind that slide. So when I'm talking about being seen, I'm trying to talk about how you're perceived, how, how others might perceive you, how God sees you, and how you ought to see yourself. And so I'm going to try to explain this because this lesson is going to be about humility. It's going to be about awareness. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, starts off where Peter says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. Then he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so with this scripture, Peter is trying to draw connections between humility and insecurity. He's saying to clothe yourselves with humility. The clothing, it symbolizes it symbolizes your humility because it's something that other people can see. So you ever meet someone and after the first 30 seconds, you realize, you know, what, I really don't like this person or I, or I really do like this person. It depends. You liking them depends on just how nice they were or mean they were, how humble they were. And so they were wearing their humility on the outside. And then Peter goes on to say, therefore, humble yourselves unto the under." Humble yourselves to God by casting all your worries on him. Your worries, he's talking about your insecurities, your inadequacies, your weaknesses. He's basically saying, be self-aware. Be aware of your weaknesses. And if you're humble, you'll bring them to God and he'll help you work with those things. He'll, he'll work with you on those things and he'll help you be able to bear them. And then he says, be sober, be vigilant. And be mindful of the lion that's pacing around, the lion that means temptation, that's pacing around, seeking someone to devour. Peter is saying, be aware of that lion, but not just aware that lions, they exist, but aware of just how close they are to your home. Not just aware of your flesh, but aware of certain insecurities that your flesh has. And so with all this, Peter was saying, be aware of others, be aware of temptation, and be aware of yourself. So... Now, with the rest of the sermon, we're going to walk through a couple of different stories in the Bible. We're going to break down the characters and things that they did, their actions, to try to get a deeper understanding of what Peter was trying to talk about with humility. And so the first person we're going to talk about is King Saul. Saul, he lacked a lot of self-awareness. And this shone through one day whenever God told him to go slay all the Amalekites, all the animals, all the people. And so Saul, he gathers up all the Israelites and they assault, uh, they assault the Amalekites, their cities and all those things. 
But then afterwards, Saul, he keeps alive the king of the Amalekites. And then he allows his soldiers to keep alive the sacrificial animals to make sacrifices to the Lord later. And so when Samuel meets Saul a couple hours later, he confronts him and he says that he, he says, he says, why do I hear the lowing of, of the oxen in the distance? And why is this guy standing over here, the king of the Amalekites? Why do you spare all these things? And Saul said that it was the people who wanted to keep the animals to sacrifice to God. And so even if the people keeping the animals alive was some kind of mutiny that, that they did towards Saul, and they wouldn't listen to him, no matter what, Saul was just as guilty as they were because he kept something alive that God said to get rid of. And so multiple times, likewise, there are, people, there are people in our lives connected to us, people that might be your own fellow soldiers fighting on the same side for the same righteous cause. And in moments of weakness, sometimes even they will contradict what is right and then, turn to, and then turn around and try to offer it up to God as something like praise. For example, your life is meant to be a sacrifice of holiness. The righteous way that you live your life is worship, but sometimes... Like those soldiers, people take something unrighteous that doesn't seem like it's a big deal. It's just a couple of sacrificial animals and they try to present their disobedience in the best way possible. See, because when Saul told Samuel what the people were doing, he said the people have kept alive all of the best of the livestock unto the Lord. He said all of the best. He was trying to make it seem better. And so he must have said to himself, I didn't keep alive all of the Amalekites, just the best one, the king. And so, in return, Samuel says, Saul, isn't it better to obey than to sacrifice? Isn't listening better than the fat of rams? Basically saying, God didn't want the best, the most righteous of something sinful. He simply wanted you to obey. Why keep something in your life? Why keep something in your life if you have to justify keeping it by saying things like, well... You know, this song isn't as bad as this song, or this movie isn't as bad as this movie, or this friendship, this relationship. I'm trying to cling to them because without them, I'd be stuck with loneliness. And so sometimes what Samuel is trying to get through Saul is that less is more. As sometimes God cares more about what you can subtract than all the additional praise you could ever give him. And so Samuel told Saul, this day, after all of this had happened, he said, This day the kingdom has been rent from you and given to a brother of yours who is better than you. And then he took the sword and he slew the Amalekite king that Saul wouldn't. And so after all this, after the battle, Saul, he, he sets up a monument and a pillar to commemorate the victory, the supposed victory. But even though Saul had victory and that he won the battle and he slew the Amalekites, he didn't win that victory in the right way, and he lost his kingdom for it. But Saul, he still ruled for many years after that moment. But from that moment forward, his anointing was taken away. It was removed. Because God, he wants you to accomplish the goals. He wants you to win the victories, but he cares more about the journey than the destination. He cares more about your obedience on the way to the victory. And so while you're looking for that spouse, and some of you are like 10, 20 years, 12 What's an appropriate age, Mary? It's good, yeah. 10, 20 years, whatever your parents say is appropriate for you to get married. Some of y'all one day will be looking for a spouse, okay? And, and <laughs> you'll be looking for that spouse. And, and having self-awareness is not letting that person become your main desire. So much so that it distracts you from your walk with God. And it's, it's, it's whenever you go to school and whenever you go to work... 
and you're surrounded by people that call evil good and good evil, it's that you don't make compromises to have success in those areas. Education and career and spouses, they're all worthy pursuits. They're all godly. God wants you to have those things, but you've got to pursue them in the right way. The ends don't justify the means. And so with the pillar, Saul was displaying an image of his own perceived strength, of how he saw himself. But then Samuel came to Saul and he said, when you were but little in your own sight, weren't you made king of Israel? Why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? Saul used to be little in his own sight. Back in the day, before he was king, he used to be small. He used to have a humility before he was king. And he could have continued to be a great king had he continued to be as self-aware and humble as he was when he was first called. But instead, now he's so out of touch with reality, so out of touch with reality, that he's now built a monument for everyone projecting how he demands the people see him. Saul presented himself as a great king, but in reality, from that day forward, Saul was a king without a kingdom. He had no anointing, but he ruled. And so the Lord, after this, the, the anointing is removed from it's removed from Saul and it's now placed on David. So the Lord has now given David the kingdom. Despite David not being king and ruling for decades, David was now the king that God had chose. And so God, he elevates David. He elevates David and him and Slo, David and Saul, not slow. <laughs> David and Saul get a little closer and and Saul, he, he begins to take notice of David and invites him to come live in his house and work for him. And Saul eventually makes David uh, captain of the armies. And David is now leading Saul's men into battle on his behalf. And David, he starts winning battles. So many battles that the women in the streets, whenever David comes home with the victory, they start to sing that Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. But Saul, he didn't like that. Whenever he heard the song the people sang, he said, they ascribe to me only thousands, but David, ten thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? In other words, Saul was upset about how he was seen in comparison to a brother. He was saying, if he's already taken how they see me, what more can he have? I'm in a weaker position. The song they sang didn't match the monument that he built for them. So after this, instead of doing some introspection work and looking inward and becoming and coming to the conclusion that, you know what, I'm, I'm the king, but I haven't been showing up to a lot of battles recently. I haven't been fulfilling a lot of my other kingly roles and responsibilities. Maybe there's a reason the people see, this, see me this way. Maybe there's a reason they feel this way about me and have these concerns. But instead of introspection and doing all that, Saul, he festered on the moment that he was embarrassed. He festered on the moment that his true character was exposed. See, he didn't let it humble him. Instead of working on himself, he aimed to tear down someone else's image. He went on to throw spears at David. David, the man that he, that he loved as his own son, why would he do that? David, he was just chilling out. He was living life, doing his own thing. Why was Saul trying to kill an innocent man? Why focus all of your self-discontentment on someone that's never harmed you? Because in Saul's mind, everything that David was judged everything that he wasn't. Everything that... David was judged everything that Saul wasn't. All the spear throwing started because some people sang a song because there were people that were on the outside that took some time to look a little deeper. And similarly, 
Similarly, there are times when people who love you and, and want the best for you, they reach out in a moment of intermission because they're concerned about certain negative behaviors or ideas that you've talked about and espoused. And it's all too easy to interpret their concerns as judgment. But the next time that your parents or people in your house or, 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 or pastors or leadership or friends reach out to you in a moment of intermission, practice some self-awareness because maybe that person that loves you isn't as overbearing as you think they are. Maybe you are really slacking in certain areas and you're not aware of it. And then after that, dig a little deeper and find out some cause and effect patterns that you're susceptible to. Maybe whenever you get home, and I know that I've done this, especially when I was in high school, I'd get home and I would call Jonah, I'd call Silas, and we'd get on Instagram together <laughs> for hours and send each other memes. And then whenever you're on the phone with somebody and they, and they want to like, whenever you're like, we were on the phone with each other and we sent a meme and we're like, this is going to be a good one. You knew it was a good one whenever all you heard was... <laughs> And so, <laughs> just because they exhale a little faster, that means that you are a comedian. Okay, so, anyways, realize some negative patterns that you might have. When I was in high school, I would, I would go and I would get on Instagram, you know, I would say I'd be on it for about two minutes, and then two hours later, I realized that I wasted my whole evening. And then I would get discontent with myself and I would, I would start being mean and hateful to the people around me because I wasted my whole day. I don't really like who I am right now. And so whenever regrets and self-discontentment sets in, you'll, you'll start mistreating those around you sometimes. And we've all done it. They're, we've all done it. When we're discontent with ourselves, we'll get a little bit more snippy with one another and people in our house and like Saul, the people we love but are throwing spears at, they don't realize that we're only throwing spears because we're discontent with how we see ourselves. We don't like how we see ourselves, but we don't, but, but we don't know how to tell them that because it's embarrassing to expose yourself and to be humble enough and open to the people that have been open to you. And so if you ever feel unheard or unseen or not understood by the people that you love, then try working on your communication skills because they don't know what the spear means. All they know is that they're being attacked. And like David, they retreat and you're lonelier and you feel justified in that loneliness that they've retreated from you. I feel like I'm trying to break down like the human condition. But this is, this is all just cause and effect. This is how people react to one another. People are more the same than we realize. And so insecurity, it's made us all act weird at times. One day, for example, I can be the most kind and extroverted person in the world. Or not the world, but there's a lot of better people than me. But anyways, I could be a really kind and extroverted person. But then there are days when I'm, I just wake up, I'm already in a mood. I got a headache. I roll out of bed, go to the bathroom, wash my face. And when I look in the mirror, I see Nicolas Cage. <laughs> it's the hairline. <laughs> I see Nicolas. I see my hairline. And some days, on weaker days, that's all it will take for me. It's, it's all it will take. And Katie, she'll wake up five hours later and say, good afternoon, Devin. And I'll say, do I look like I'm four years older than you or 40 years older than you? <laughs> And I'll start snapping at her <laughs> because I'm insecure about myself. <laughs> you know, sometimes I might, sometimes 
<laughs> Whenever we've had spats and fights, I might do some rage cleaning. Has your mom ever rage cleaned? <laughs> Slamming cabinets and... But, but like, they're trying to clean, but they're right. making a mess at the same time. <laughs> and so... Yeah, sometimes I'll rage clean, or or like has, has has somebody like that was driving you around when they get upset, they just do some like fast driving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm one of those fast drivers, and Katie knows when I'm upset. Whenever I just <clears throat> and a four cylinder Corolla. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so that scenario about Nicholas Cage and the hairline, I'm not really insecure about all that stuff. I don't want it. I don't want it to go like back here one day, but. <laughs> It's probably going to, because, yeah, it's in my genes. But anyways, that scenario wasn't an actual scenario that happened in our house, but it, there are similar things. Hannah, what were you making me laugh? <laughs> but uh, similar things, they have happened. They have happened. And more serious things are happening. And they're happening in homes. They're happening in workplaces. They're happening in friendships. And so we all live impulsively. Most of the time, most of the time, our day-to-day encounters are handled with reaction. Now, your impulsive instinct, they're good for things like not getting hit by a bus. I don't have that instinct. I don't have that instinct. I could take on every single bus in JCTC if they could find the drivers. But your instinct is good for things like avoiding danger. Okay, it's a reflex. It saves you in those moments. It's also good for whenever you're meeting new people and your automatic responses start kicking in. You, you walk up to someone you never met, you say, hi, how are you? That's good. Like, what's the deal with airline food? Like, it's just every single thing your brain can think of, it dumps out to save you from humiliation in that moment. And so your gut reaction, it saves you from both danger and embarrassment. But when it comes to your relationships, you're not talking to just anyone. You're talking to your friendships. You're talking to your parents. You're talking to the people in your home, your siblings. But when it comes to someone you love and, you, and they start throwing all the spears at you and you've had a long day and people in your house just can't seem to treat you right, your brain is just trying to survive. It's trying to make it through the day. But you've got to remember that these people aren't just any people you meet on the street or in school or at work. They are people that have loved you. There are people that have clothed you. They might have fed you. There are people that held you when you didn't think anybody else cared. They were, you have to realize that whenever they start throwing spears, that at one time they were better people than what they are currently behaving like. And so there's a relationship. You do this because there's a relationship that you're trying to foster and to grow. And when you care for someone, you don't dodge them like a bus. Or, or give them generic responses. But like David, when his insecure king couldn't treat him right, he didn't pick up the spear and throw it back, but he created some distance for a while. He got, he got out of range of those spears, and during that time of separation, he got to do some thinking. Until there came a right time and a right place to have a talk with his king. And so David and Saul, they had this meeting, and they stood at the top of two different hills, and in between them was a valley, and they spoke to one another across these hills. And on on the hill, both of them were elevated, because both of them felt justified. One feels like he's the victim, the other one feels like he has a righteous anger, but then there's a valley in between, and both of them must be willing to walk down to that valley in order to reunite, in order to mend that relationship. So what is that valley? That valley is humility. See, humility, that's where the righteous 
That's where, that's where the wrong repents and the victim forgives. And like David, you might be the bigger, you might have to be the bigger person in your house. And you might have to be the bigger person than the most grown adult that you've ever met. And ask them to have that meeting on the hills. Ask them to have some moments of honesty. And so Saul, he was willing to have that meeting with David on the hills. And they talk things out. But he wasn't willing to meet him in the valley. Now, most of the people that you have problem with, problems with, they're not as bad as Saul. Saul had a lot of problems. Saul was murderous. He was trying to kill people. So if the people that you're having fights with aren't pointing a gun at your head, I'd say you can have a talk with them at least. <laughs> Anyways, so when you have this talk, this is what it'll look like. What will likely happen is that both of you are going to get a little bit more honest. You'll both gradually let your guard down. And you know that you got the words to cut them up. You know their insecurities that you can poke at. But as you walk towards them, you take your hand off the hilt of that sword. And, the, and meekness draws you closer to them because you know that the, if you come to them with the sword in hand, you'll be fighting all over again in the valley. And that's part of being aware. That's part of self-awareness. Knowing that, you know what? I can't mend this if I don't just keep the sword in my sheath. If I don't just keep my mouth shut on certain topics, we're going to be fighting all over again. Only talk about the things that are necessary to talk about when you have those discussions. And so this is how you be self-aware. And this is how you be aware of others. You keep the sword on your side because you know that evil exists and that people are capable of evil and they're capable of hurting you emotionally. But you position yourself into a place where you don't have to use that sword. When spears are being thrown, before you go drawing your sword, create a valley between you and them and consider, do I want to be right? Do I want to win or do I want to be made whole in this relationship? And so another reason you don't just go drawing your sword as an automatic response to, 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 to their spear is because there have been times that you have been that man. See, years later, after Saul had died, after Saul died, the righteous King David, he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. And Nathan, he began to speak a parable to David. David didn't know it was a parable at the time. So Nathan said, hey, David, there's this rich man. He has a ton of flocks. And, and there's a poor man who has one little lamb. And this little lamb, he loves, he loves this lamb like he was his own daughter. But then the rich man, he had a guest come into town. And this guest needed to eat. And so instead of taking from the flocks that he has, he goes to the poor man's house and he steals the one lamb. He kills it, he slays it, cooks it up, eats it with his friend. And before David, before Nathan could even, could even ask the king what his judgment was on the situation, David bowed up and he said, this man deserves to die. That's my judgment on this man. And Nathan said, you are that man, David. You are that man. Because the story, because the story that Nathan was telling David was regarding about how David had killed his servant Uriah and he had taken his wife to be his own wife. And so David, he was quick to judge. He was quick to do judgment on another. He was quick to judge the speck in another's eye and disregard and be unaware of the beam in his own eye. But years later, years earlier, David, we know he didn't draw his sword on Saul. Why? Well, first, because Saul was his king. 
A second because he knew that in a moment of weakness, he has the capacity to behave just like Saul is behaving right now. So he chose not to pass judgment, radical judgment on Saul, so that one day he wouldn't be judged by the same judgment in which he judged. So having awareness is living with the realization that no matter how spiritual I am, no matter how much I pray, how much I fast and read my Bible, I'm not perfect. I have weaknesses. I have a proclivity to want to sin in certain ways. And so Paul spoke about this. And he said, because of the great amount of revelations that have been shown to me, a thorn was given, me, given to me in my flesh in order to keep me from becoming conceited. In other words, God let Paul have this undisclosed weakness all for the purpose of keeping Paul humble. Excuse the slurp. I guess it doesn't like metal. No. <clears throat> no. Anyway, so God let Paul have this, have this undisclosed weakness for the purpose of keeping him humble, the thorn. And so what is the thorn in your flesh? The thorn, it's insecurity. It's all the little things that you don't like about yourself. They're not inherently sinful. Maybe you don't like how you look. Maybe you don't like how, how you talk. Maybe you don't like certain uh, things in your mind or how insecure you might be. But some, most of those things are not inherently sinful. But they feel like they bring you lower. And so we need to change how we view insecurity in comparison to temptation. And we need to separate the two because they're not the same. They're not the same thing. Insecurity is meant to humble you, but temptation is meant to devour you. Insecurity creates an awareness that keeps you. The, the, the pain of the thorn creates an awareness. Every time that it flares up, it reminds you that there is a temptation out there that's trying to devour you. And so some read this scripture that Paul talked about, and they speculated that God was tempting Saul. Well, we know that the Bible says that God tempts no man because temptation is the intent to make one fall. But the test is given in hopes that they will succeed. The thorn was a test, not a temptation. So stop feeling guilty that you have a thorn. Everybody has thorns. Paul said that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, meaning that if you struggled, then many other people have struggled in the same way. Now, is Paul trying to downplay your suffering? Is he trying to downplay your insecurities? No, he's trying to encourage you by saying that other people have overcome the same things that you're dealing with, and you can too. He's saying that we all can have empathy for one another now. He's, he's saying, I'm able to relate to you and understand your struggles because of my similar struggles. He's saying that we can grow closer in our brotherly love. It can reach beyond sympathy that just says, I'm sorry for you. And it can reach deeper into empathy that says, I've been there before. Let's talk about it. And so we all have thorns. We all have thorns. And Paul, he even tried to give God this thorn further down. And it says that God didn't take away his thorn. And so God's reply was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then am I content with weaknesses. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then am I strong. In other words, Paul was saying, I had a breakthrough, but I still had a thorn. Why? Because like Paul, when you give God the thorn in your flesh, he doesn't take it away. He just makes you more able to bear it. So giving God the thorn isn't about deliverance. Take it away. It's about humility and becoming content. 
Because if I didn't have thorns, if I didn't have thorns or insecurities or weaknesses or hardships and persecutions, then I wouldn't be humble enough to pray. If I didn't have insecurities, then I wouldn't be aware of just how much I need God to avoid the lion walking around seeking someone to devour. So God lets you have hardships and weaknesses to prove you, not to break you, to test you, not to tempt you. And I'm wrapping this up with Cain and Abel. I'm going to talk about the story of Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought to him the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. He, he saw them. He had regard for them. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard it says, so Cain got very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at the door. Just like Peter described sin as a lion earlier, walking around seeking someone to to devour. Here again, God is describing sin like a lion because like a lion that crouches at the door or the opening of a tent or a cave waiting for one moment that it can catch its prey unaware, sin, it does the same thing. It tries to catch you unaware. So as Cain and Abel offered their sacrifices to God, it's only, it's only fitting that many artists, they depict them and it doesn't say this in the Bible, but there are many artists, whenever they show the sacrificial scene, it shows them at the gates of the garden, cast out from this garden. See, why did, why did they depict it? Because it was a heaven that they hoped to be restored to one day. They didn't know when. All they knew is that God gave their mother a prophecy, a prophecy that a son would be born in their lineage, and that son would become the man that whose heel can stomp on the head of the snake while also taking its bite. And only then, after that, restoration can begin. And so you've got two men, Cain and Abel, and they got a promise. And Cain, being the firstborn, whatever he might think about himself, he might think that he is that snake stomper, that person prophesied about, the one worthy enough to take the bite of the snake and crush it at the same time. But what he brought to God revealed a different truth. A reality that I'm not all that I thought myself to be. See, that prophecy that God gave Eve, it was the first prophecy ever given in the Bible. And that prophecy was so important that the Israelites, they hold on to it to this day. And before the time of David, when God narrowed down the specifics of the Messiah, like whenever God said that he would be born in the line of David. Then generations later, whenever God gave more details in the book of Isaiah, and he tells us what town he'll be born in and how he'll be born, as, God, as the promise drew near, God revealed more and more of the details of that promise. But Cain, he only ever had that initial word. And no matter what Cain thought of himself, whether he thought he could be that snake stomper prophesied about or just an average man, whatever he thought of himself, that word was his judge. Because whoever that man was or will be that will crush the serpent with and withstand its bite, that man is the ideal. That man is the example. That man is the higher idea. So Cain and Abel, they didn't have a book filled with hundreds of prophecies and stories like we have. All they had was that one word. And every day they woke up, they remembered that one word. And they tried to live up to that man, to that figure, to that image. 
And when God warned Cain about the lion, God might as well have been telling Cain, hey, Cain, you're, you're acting a little crazy right now. You're, you're getting worked up over this small thing. Sin is lying in the wake of your vulnerability. But remember the worthy one who is to come. The worthy one who is to come in this moment be like him. Rule over the lion like the one to come will rule over the snake. In this moment of insecurity, it revealed a lion. And Cain had a choice to make. There were two people he could be in that moment. He could either be... He could either be the man that was talked about in Nathan's prophecy or parable to David or the man that in God's prophecy to his mother Eve. And Stanley. <clears throat> there is an ideal, an ideal, meaning an example, that we're all trying to live up to. And that's Jesus. That's all these prophecies we're talking and directing and pointing at Jesus that this was what we are trying to obtain. See, but Jesus, he was tempted in every way like we were tempted, except that he didn't have sin. He didn't sin in it. He is the groom and we are the bride. He is the shepherd and we are the sheep. He is the higher example we strive to emulate. So remember that when your insecurities begin to flare up and that thorn starts to hurt you, that insecurity starts to get, dig a little deeper, remember that if I'm not mindful of this, then sin can consume me in a moment. And let that humble you. Let that humble you towards God and let that humble you towards others and how you treat them people in your house. Remember that as you are becoming, becoming whoever you are set out to become, whoever God's told you that you are going to be, don't lose yourself over the small thorn in your side because the thorn is not your temptation. It is your test. Okay, let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for this time, God. Thank you for this word. God, help us uh, to take this word into our homes. Lord God, take it into our schools and into our jobs. Oh God, help us to treat others with humility and meekness and kindness. Help us to diffuse fights and skirmishes. God, and help us to be aware of ourselves. In Jesus' name, we thank you, God. Amen. Amen.